field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, Frank Lee, it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast. Tonight, covering almost entirely Red Sox hot stove uh, talk, we have the Hunter Renfro signing. Kind of came out of nowhere today. Mixed feelings on that. We'll be hashing those out. Some comments uh, regarding Corey Kluber uh, that you know, we'll get into, you know, from Heim Bloom. And if we have time, we will discuss the Dave Dombrowski uh, signing with the Philadelphia Phillies. If we do not have time, uh, Charlie and Brad uh, covered that on the Benny and the Bets YouTube channel. So check that out. Joining me tonight is Charlie Smith and Jason Kelly. How are you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad. Nice to actually have some news. Uh, I feel like it's been really quiet for a long time. Yeah. I literally was going to say the exact same thing. Like, it's great to hear both of you guys after, you know, uh, what feels like just a bunch of nothingness and missed signings. And today we had a little bit of a difference. So that was cool. Yeah, it wasn't Marcelo Zuna, though, is... Uh... One of my bigger problems here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Charlie, go ahead, lead off. What are your thoughts on Hunter Renfro? Um, here, here's the thing. When it comes to, to Renfro, I, you know, I was one of the people that was really, really high on Dawn. I really was hoping we were going to invest that money there. Uh, with, with Renfro, we saw what he was able to do for a couple of years pre-COVID year in Tampa Bay. And he had three consistent years of 25 homers or more. I'm not going to say I hate that production. His 17 and 18 campaigns were almost identical numbers as far as runs and hits, homers, ribbies, across the board. He was able to bring down the strikeout numbers, which I really, really like. The year after that, the batting average went down. The strikeout numbers the strikeout numbers went up. The home run numbers went up. Everything kind of went up that, that sense. But the... The hits number went down after getting more at bat. So I'm kind of curious to know if the uh, plate vision kind of went down a little bit. And then this year, everything kind of just fell apart. But I mean, it's COVID. So um, I like the idea of, of Renfro coming down. It gives us uh, a nice bat in the outfield. Uh, I'm curious to see what he can do because um, Hunter Renfro plays right field usually. So. How will that transition when he comes to Fenway? My assumption is he'll be platooning full-time with Benintendi until Benintendi can remember how to hit. Jason? Yeah. So that right there, what you just said about him platooning with Benintendi, is one of the big reasons why 
even though it's a small signing, this is a small move. I'm a big fan of it. I think the low cost versus high upside is big with this guy. I know he's 28, so you know I'm I'm not saying that he's gonna realize any potential that you know we didn't know about. We know what he is now. He's a 250 hitter who has a lot of power when he's at his best. Um, but for one year at a little over three million, I think the incentives dry it drive it to 3.7 at the most. So this is a you're taking a flyer on a guy who really struggled last year. Um, his numbers were not good, but again, it was a 60-game season, and last year was was a weird year. It was like Charlie said, it was COVID. So, you know, if you want to chalk it up to that, sure, I, I'll go with you on that. Um, he's got a lot of power from the right side. He mashes left-handers. So I want to see exactly what Charlie said, a full-time platoon of him and Benintendi. Because, quite frankly, if I'm Kyan Bloom, I'm looking at Andrew Benintendi and going, okay, I get that, like, Name-wise, you're supposed to be this, you know, guy who was a top prospect for for a long time, and you know, was a guy that a lot of other GMs would never trade, and you know, would have held on to for for dear. But like, he's 26 now. He's 26. He's been in the in the league for quite a few years, and last year he was he was a joke at the plate. I mean, he couldn't hit anything. So Ben Nintendi kind of has to prove that he still belongs in the major leagues. I mean, we're no longer talking about, you know, this is no longer the 22, 23-year-old kid who you just called up and, oh, it's okay, just give him some time. He'll he'll beef up and he'll get there. It's like, no, he needs to be there now. So I like the idea of bringing in a guy like Renfro who is a established veteran and has really only had one off year in his career. Um, you have him platoon with Benintendi out there. He's a good outfielder as well. I think that's another plus is that he's a good defender. So he hits for power. He's got he's got a good glove. The only downside I can see is that you did add about 180 more strikeouts to your lineup, which already is strikeout heavy. We've talked about it before with Chavis and Dahlbeck, and hopefully J.D. Martinez pulls his head out of his ass this coming season and doesn't strike out as much as he did last year, but who the hell knows with that guy. So that's a downside, but if Renfro can sort of rediscover his power from the previous seasons, the, his 19 and 18 seasons, then you just added a really good right-handed power bat that seemingly nobody else really wanted for a cheap one-year contract. I, I'm, I'm down for that. Let's do it. Yeah, you know, and, and more to what, what Jason was just saying, I mean, Renfo, Hunter Renfro does strike out a lot, he also does hit a decent amount of home runs. When you think about um, the numbers in 2019, 33 home runs out of 440 at-bats. Uh, doing the math on it, not crazy, not insane. But, I mean, I'll, I'll totally take the fact that this guy has pop. He's uh, a right-handed hitter, um, so we have the benefit of that wonderful green monster for somebody like that, as opposed to a Benintendi who kind of just, he, he couldn't hit anything. Plus the fact that he's um, a left-handed hitter, uh, it just, no, nothing was, nothing seemed to work. It's it's a deeper right field. It's going to be harder for him to bang, to bang him out. Um, and I, I honestly think like this is going to be the, the, the coming out party for him. Like you either show us what you've got or 
the time has come and we've got to move on because you completely fell apart in 2020. And not to say that, you know, anybody else did fantastic. No one else scared me. I mean, Jason, I'm trying to figure out what your issue is with, with J.D. Martinez. He did great last year. <laughs> kid. Um, but, I mean, this this is going to be a test. Like, what other way to, to raise the flag and say, this is your time, son. Get it right or pack your bags. We just can't afford to wait anymore. So we'll see. Here's where I'm at. Remember when we signed Shane Victorino and we were going to be like, he's our right fielder for at least 140, 50 games a season. Remember how simple that was? <laughs> it was nice. We're yeah, getting another times. piece. Those were the great, the, the greatest of times. We're getting another piece that might work out okay. It might work out terribly. I'm just so tired of this merry-go-round of retreads. Like, let's just sign some ball players and put a formidable team together. I mean, why not just bring Kevin Pillar back? Dude was a spark plug and wanted to play here, thrived off of playing here. Even when we were going to finish in last place, he didn't even want to be traded. He liked playing here. I would have went that route. Maybe Bradley's market is a little too big. We're, we're waiting for Jaron Duran. You know, that's that's the bridge we're, we're trying to get to here. And, you know, so Renfro is the one-year deal guy. I, I'm just... I'm just so tired of this, and he's worse than Bradley. He's like a poor man's Mark Trumbo, and the bad news is Trumbo wasn't very good either. You know, he did lead the league in home runs one year with like 47, but but he was a high strikeout guy, a low on-base guy. I'm just so tired of this. Let's just put a team together, and, you know, you guys mentioned Benintendi, of course, He's like a major complication right now. He's screwing up everything on his own because we don't know whether to plan for the 290 hitter with the 360 on base that Benintendi used to be, or is he just losing his mind, you know, and going the the Daniel Bard route where he's just he just can't mentally keep it together. I I don't know, you know. I just talked about this on the uh, the YouTube edition, and and Benintendi right now is an enigma, and I, I guess that's kind of, at least from where I'm coming from, you know, uh, a consequence now. You know, Renfro is a consequence of the uncertainty of Benintendi, but I would go get a Michael Brantley or the dream signing is Marcel Osuna and I think you know maybe him and his agents have a high number in mind and that number needs to get closer to earth a little bit if if it's even remotely realistic we haven't heard anything connecting the Red Sox to Osuna but um but yeah I'm just I'm not a big Hunter Renfro guy it's just another cute bloom move and I, I just would rather see a, a, a more simpler, refined lineup. And that's where I'm at. 
So let, let me run this by you. So, and this is just projections from baseball reference. So take them from what, for what they're worth, but they project Hunter Renfro to have 389 at bats with the Red Sox this year, which would have him playing a little more than half of the games. So it, it kind of projects that he would actually end up getting more playing time than Ben attendee, but it projects to have him hit 25 home runs, uh, strike out 120 times, and have a batting average of 221. Is that, in your mind, Terry, is that a guy who would be valuable to the 2021 Red Sox and what they're trying to achieve? It doesn't move the needle for me. So okay. I'm gonna I'm a negative on that. Are we going to miss the playoffs because Hunter Renfro is on the team? No, I'm not saying that, but... Um, but you know, being so frustrated with the slumps that Bradley has given us since 2013, 2014, um, I just, I think we're in for a lot more frustration, you know, for, for another year. I'll say this much, if I can pipe in, I'm actually going to find myself holding both of your hands because I can't lean one way or the other. Um, I don't think that Hunter Renfro is going to be the second coming. I don't think that at all. It's going to be really cool to see someone hit home runs because, yes, J.D., we didn't see you do that last year, Um, and that would have been awfully nice. Um, But similar to what Terry said where it didn't move the needle, I don't think adding a Hunter Renfro – this is someone who's going to strike out, let's see, 120, doing the math here, out of 389 at-bats tentatively. You're striking out one of three at-bats. So one of your three at-bats is going to be a bring them up, sit them down. That sucks. I really hope there's no one in scoring position at a time like that. Um, but we're not getting someone who's going to be getting on base. That's not what we're getting. We're getting a stopgap. This is a, oh, there's a hole in the boat. We need to put a Hunter Renfro in it. Uh, and that's going to be that for a year. Is it going to be someone who ends up turning out to be like uh, Mitch Moreland? Uh, that'd be adorable. That'd be great to have another Mitch Moreland type. Do I expect that to happen? I, I actually don't. But Mitch Moreland and Hunter Renfro, I believe, both came to Boston under, I, I want to say it was around the same time because, let's see, Hunter Renfro's what, 28, right? Yeah. At the moment, <clears throat> yeah. And Mitch Moreland, I, I got to look this up now. How old was he when he uh, left uh, the Rangers and he came to Boston? I got to look this up right now, too. He was, about, he was 31 or 32. Y- yes. He was 31, so he's a little bit younger. And he's kind of providing the same pop as Mitch Moreland, except instead of playing first base, we have someone that can hit and maybe hopefully manage left field because left field at Fenway Park is different than left field at any other stadium. So um, I, I'm with Terry on that one. In that aspect, I don't think this is going to be the, the part that brings us over the edge to being the team. But I think it does alleviate some of the frustration and anger that fans have had over the last 60 games. Because uh, even though it wasn't a full season, I honestly feel like the fact that it was only 60 games saved Red Sox fans from being borderline depressed and needing to seek out uh, you know therapy because it was so bad so um you know th- that's that's what i'll say I'll, I'll leave it there on that one the the other thing that's going to annoy the crap out of me is inevitably he's gonna 
just barrel up a ball and launch it, you know, into the Charles River. I'm exaggerating, but it's going to be light tower over the monster, and it's going to be pretty. And you're going to have fans just enamored with that, you know, it, and it, it's just a home run. It's just a home run. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to like him just for that. And, and you know, maybe maybe one of them will be an epic walk-off against the Yankees if we're lucky against Chapman, you know. but And then that'll just add to it. And But at the end of the day, he is what his numbers say. The one bright spot here, maybe it gets Chavis down to Pawtucket. And we don't have to deal with that, you know. So may, maybe that's the good thing that comes out of it. Because even Chavis's numbers probably aren't going to be as good as these barely mediocre numbers that um, Renfro is going to give us. How would you feel about Chavis being a bench guy? Because, I mean, I guess he can, he can play second, he can play first. And if you really need him in a pinch, he can play left field. It's not great. It's certainly not ideal, given what we saw from him when he was out there a few times. But if he was like a utility guy off the bench, would you prefer that, or you just don't? You just want to stash him in Pawtucket? I think I would just rather him be off the roster or off the the big league roster until he can work things out. I do like Michael Chavis personally. I mean, I think he's a good clubhouse guy. He's kind of a fun follow on social media, but the plate discipline is just horrendous. The strikeouts are immense. Um, you know, I just look at it this way. Potentially, you know, you're going to have Dahlbeck for most of the season, possible strikeout machine. You're going to get it with Renfro because, like I said, that's what his numbers say he is. Um, Benintendi, huge question mark. Second base is unresolved for now, isn't it? Probably Christian Arroyo would tentatively be slotted in. And I, I do kind of like that. You know, I, I'm a little intrigued by what we saw from him. But but just take those guys, Chavis, Dahlbeck, Benintendi, and Renfro. And that's a lot of frustration between the four, potentially. Yeah, here's another thing, too. If, if, if you want to talk about frustrating... Michael Chavis struck out in just over 30% of his at-bats. Uh, the boy, Ben Benintendi, struck out in 43.5%. Almost 44% of his at-bats were strikeouts. Let that sink in for a second. That's ugly as sin. That means, let's just say you have two games here. You're being sat down twice a night by way of the K. That is devastating. And yeah. with very limited opportunities for men in scoring position or men on base, you can't afford to have somebody like that uh, on the team. I I honestly, if Ben Benintendi starts doing what he's doing, I would rather have Michael Chavis, who strikes out once every three times and might actually hit a home run over Andrew Benintendi, who seems just lost. And I hate to say that because... I also, like you, really like Michael Chavis. I'm biased because I was there for his first career home run. Um, and I will forever be immortalized on ESPN. But I also 
don't want to send this kid down when he already borderline has possibly broken confidence. He really struggled at the plate last year. Uh, his batting average saw a major dip. I think it went down to what, like 210, 211, something like that. Um, and he had kind of a shell of his former self. Um, it, it just, it wasn't happening. But I mean, if you want to talk a, about a, a, a shell of your former self, look no further than Andrew Benintendi, you know? So it's, we've got to do better. We have to do better. Well, and and the other issue too, that a lot of people are being quiet about, I joked about it earlier, but JD Martinez, like there's no guarantee he's going to bounce back this year. Now, do I think he's going to be as god-awful and useless as he was during the COVID season? No. I think that there were a lot of factors that, you know, ultimately I think he just quit on you in 2020, to be perfectly frank. Nobody wants to use that word, and, you know, all the homers will say, oh, no, he just, you know, he was just struggling. It's a, you know, no, he quit. He quit. He didn't want to play. The team sucked. He didn't care, whatever. Um, You better hope he cares this year and that he again, pulls his head out of his ass. I still don't think you're going to see the J.D. Martinez from a few years ago who was, you know, a runner-up MVP candidate. I think he'll bounce back a little bit, but, you know, he struck out a ton last year, and he's starting to lose plate discipline. He's also starting to lose bat speed. So that's another pile of strikeouts right there, quite frankly. That's an excellent point. And, you know, I think I think he gets a pass from a lot of us because he is J.D. Martinez, and, and we take certain things for granted, but he is getting into his mid thirties. And with that, you, you tend to lose the bat speed, like you said. And yeah, I mean, that, that's why I want to see some upgrades here, you know, and you bring in a guy like Osuna. I I don't know what order they would hit. Um, I'm guessing it would be two, three, four. You'd probably have, I don't know, Osuna, Devers, and then JD, you know, righty, lefty, righty, something like that. Or maybe that ends up being three, four, five, but that's tantalizing. And and you would hope that maybe that causes JD to want to elevate his game and get his head out of his ass and stop waving at those balls that are down and away in the strike zone, those lazy swings, you know, as, as he takes strike three. So, you know, it's it's frustrating, you know, to 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 not get the guys we know we need, and you know, our our pitching has <laughs> a lot of question marks too. Well, let's get <laughs> over into that right now. Um, let me pull up the exact tweet, and this is from Bill Coke. From the Providence Journal, as I get to the correct Twitter account, he said today, uh, without naming names, and this is in a tweet, Bloom is asked about Corey Kluber, said the Red Sox would be unlikely to sign any player returning from injury without seeing at least one workout. Now, Kluber is scheduled to have a workout at some point in January. How seriously, uh, Charlie, do you think Kluber could be a candidate to come to Boston, and should he be a candidate to come to Boston? Um, well, if we're looking for huh, starting pitching, that would be ideal. Um, and I've I've always liked Corey Kluber. Um, you cannot deny the leadership there. 
I would be willing to take a chance on him, but I will say this. When the Red Sox, I mean, I think they had a fair opportunity to bring on uh, David Dahl from Colorado, and they didn't get him. That does kind of ring true because, you know, David Dahl was injured and was unable to perform um, his, you know, his job. And that's why he didn't, he didn't, I mean, he didn't, I don't even feel like he had a serious chance. And that seemed like a perfect fit. Nothing against Hunter Renfro because we don't know what's going to happen. But we've already seen what Corey Kluber could do. I'd like to assume that uh, with an opportunity, anything is possible. Anything could happen. That was one of the last people I ever wanted to face when he was in Cleveland. I mean, this guy won, I think he almost won 20 games two or three times. He's multiple. He's won a Cy Young twice. Yes, he's 34 years old. Yes, he had a couple of rough years um, towards the end. Um, but, I mean, the guy can shoot innings. He strikes out 200 guys a year when healthy, and he's proven that he can do it. I would love to be able to give somebody like that a chance and an opportunity to get a big contract if that's what he's looking for. Granted, 34 years old, going to be 35 if he's not already 35 now. Um, why not? What's the worst that could happen? We 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 didn't even we didn't try to bring back. Um, oh my God, I'm I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, starting pitcher who's only here, Martin Perez. Um, we we didn't bring him back, and I was hoping that you know we'd at least entertain it. I mean, he did his job and he was healthy. Um, why not? If if we don't make at least an effort to get somebody like Kluber after allegedly being pretty serious about getting Charlie Morton. I don't think you're going to be able to make a safe argument that the Red Sox are really trying to win. Uh, you'd be an idiot to not want a two-time Cy Young Award winner who already knows your team, already knows your div- your league, your division. Why wouldn't you give this man a chance? What's the worst that could happen? You fail? Oh, we already did that. So... You asked why wouldn't you want to give someone like Kluber a contract? And Terry, what you said earlier about you're sick of retreads, <laughs> this guy has retread written all over him. I look at the Corey Kluber situation, and I just think Felix Hernandez. It's it's a guy who pitched a ton of innings throughout his career. Granted, he didn't do it as long as Felix did, but Felix signed with the Braves, and he didn't last. He was he's toast like Felix Hernandez is toast. Um, And it's a shame because he was obviously he was a great pitcher. He was a Cy Young winner, but his arm is just shot. He just has nothing left. And I look at Kluber and I think same age as Felix pitched over 220 innings for years in a row there with with Cleveland. And he's just not the same guy anymore. Now, look, if you can get him on a one year kind of a make good deal where he takes a he takes cheap money just to kind of get himself back in the league because he thinks he's going to pull off a rich hill kind of thing. Great. I'm all for a one year deal that that has no risk attached to it. If he's looking for two, three years, if he's looking for a multi-year deal. No, thank you. I, I would pass on him. I would look throughout the free agent market. I look at someone else, you know, anyone else uh, pick up Jose Urena who's 29, who, you know, got cast aside by the Marlins, get someone like that. I would rather do that than give Corey Kluber 
a three-year deal where he's locked in here for a couple of years. Um, maybe a one-year deal, but again, I I just look at this guy and I think he's just going to be Felix Hernandez all over again. You know, some team is going to sign him thinking that he's going to recapture that Cy Young form and he's just not going to last. I'm, I'm going to pull that scene from uh, from Scarface where the guy's looking at Tony Montana. He goes, oh, Tony, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Everybody was saying the same thing about Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander looked like he lost everything, like he had the yips. This guy went from winning 24 games to getting uh, an ERA of four and a half on its way to five. Yes, he won 15 games, but the guy just looked completely lost. The following season, five wins. Okay, cool. 2015, going into 2016, no more Justin Verlander. Everyone thought he was done. What does he do the following season? Oh, you know, just over three ERA. Won 15 or 16 games, struck out 250 guys, and basically proved everybody wrong. What happens the following year? He ends up getting moved to Houston, where when in Houston, the guy had a 1.05 ERA or whatever, and struck out 40 guys in 30 innings, gave up a couple of home runs. And then we all saw what he did in 2019, where he struck out 300 guys for the first time in his career and won his third or third Cy Young or second Cy Young. He's been in the talk for several awards for Cy Young. What, what could it hurt if you gave Corey Kluber a one-and-one? Because one? I don't, I think he's got a higher probability of being more like Justin Verlander than he does of being Felix Hernandez. He's older than Hernandez, but Hernandez has more than twice the, the mileage. You have somebody who's thrown 1,300 innings as opposed to someone who's thrown close to over 2,700 innings. That's a crap load of, of mileage. That's like driving cross-country and back a couple times. And Corey Kluber in relation, that's like driving a Tesla to Chicago and having to refill. That's that's how much confidence I have in Kluber. I will totally eat my words if I'm wrong. But what's the worst that could happen? You need starting pitching. You need it. If you want to not be taken as a joke again, you need to at least get this guy. Odorizzi is there. Kluber is there. You can't just reject every signing because they've had an injury. Every player in baseball has dealt with injuries. Yes, he's in his mid-30s. But if we said that to every single player in their mid-30s, we wouldn't be signing we, – we'd be signing nobody. And we're going to be, again, destined for failure. And if, if that's the, the direction that we're, that we're heading in, why even bother getting Renfro? Why not just bring a bunch of, like, nobodies or rookies in here? Renfro's not a nobody. Renfro hits 20, 30 bombs. I, I want to believe that Kluber can do something different. And I, Kluber strikes out 200 guys this year. Jesus. We're going to have words. I love Corey <laughs> Kluber, but the reality is is that the Red Sox aren't in a, in a position to take on that risk because we've got a lot of question marks, like I said. Could the Dodgers – Take on a Corey Kluber and, you know, a, a buy low and maybe high reward type guy. Yeah, they could do that. The Braves could make a move like that. The Mets could make a move like that. But I don't think the Red Sox can make that move because we're just not stable. And Corey Kluber, you know, like you guys have said, he's going to be 35 this year. He pitched one inning of one game in 2020 pitched seven starts in uh, 2019, 
had a 580 ERA in those seven starts. And he he was injured on a comebacker. So he wasn't unhealthy while he was pitching terribly. You know, it was he got hit with a comebacker. That's always just bad luck and his season was over. But what I'm getting at here is what is a 35-year-old guy with a ton of rust going to give you? <laughs> you know, for a team that's missed the playoffs twice, ownership desperately wants to to get back in and, and be that competitive team. The division is there for the taking. There is not one team right now that's a bona fide division winner. Every team has questions. Now, even the race, now that they don't have Morton, maybe they might trade Snell still. Who knows? But the division is there for a GM that wants to build a, div- a division winner, you know, and and I don't think Corey Kluber at this point in his career, at this point in the Red Sox transition, is the right move. What do you think it's going to cost to sign Kluber? Real talk. Probably it shouldn't cost more than six to eight, but in a perfect world, it should really be an incentive-laden contract. You know, maybe a $2 million base. Give him another two if he pitches 150 innings or more. Another two if he records, you know, 100 and. 30 strikeouts, you know, all reasonable benchmarks, but it should be incentive laden. And if, if he's going to get pushed upwards of even 10, 12 million, you're not getting another top of the line starter because they're going to cost at least that much. And you're just not going to get two starting pitchers for, you know, 25, 30 million combined that, that eats up most of, you know, what we have available to stay under the luxury tax. So I would be extremely uncomfortable if if they went that route, as much as I do like Corey Kluber. Okay, so then you just said it'll cost us six to eight million. How much money do we have to spend? I think it's roughly thirty two. Thirty two million. You cough up six. That's less than twenty percent of what you still owe. Or what you still have, excuse me, what you still have to play with. You can justifiably get Jake Odorizzi and Corey Kluber on one-year deals and make it work. The issue there is I don't think Odorizzi's taking a one-year deal. I think I think Kluber has to because of the injury, but Odorizzi doesn't have to. I think he's going to look for three to four years. Odorizzi got rocked in 2020. He but did he was, not get the job done. Yeah, but he was healthy, and he was healthy the year before, too. And he was good the year before. He and was at, thir- at 31, he can just say, oh, it was an off year, COVID. I'll be okay. Yeah, but you can make the argument that 2019 was an off year. He just got lucky because before that, he was trash. He wasn't He wasn't great. He, he, never, he never blew anybody away. Ten wins was the most he had, I think. He never did anything fantastic. 2019 was an outlier, in my opinion. His first all-star opera, his first all-star game, I stand corrected. He won 11 games in 2014. He won 15 in 2019. He went 0-1 in four starts with a 6.59. So 
I could make the justifiable, I feel like I could argue that the exact opposite way. Oda Rizzi needs to be able to prove himself and you can't say, oh, I've done it in 20, 2019. That's like making, at least in my opinion, that would be like somebody saying, oh, Tyler Thornburg's a good reliever because he had one good year in Milwaukee and I can't stand Tyler Thornburg. So why not? Why not take it? If, if you give Oda Rizzi one year... What, what what do you think? What would you call it? One year, nine million. No, 9. He, incentives. He's in the twelve to fourteen range at a minimum, I would say. And I do agree with Jason. I think he's he's probably in the two to three year range, um, but it's it's going to be twelve or more, I would say. I'm curious to see what happens and how much of it is going to be player option, team option, or guaranteed. Because the Patriots, oh my God, the, the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Red Sox are not going to be giving three years to Jake Odorizzi. That's just not going to happen. So, for context on these these one year deals in terms of the numbers, if you want to look at an example, Robbie Ray, his one year deal with the Blue Jays was for eight million. Robbie Ray's ERA the past three years was four point seven nine. 7.84 and 6.62 and he's 28 so not only is he under 30 but he signed a one-year deal he quite frankly has sucked the last three or four years and he got eight million so i'm thinking a guy like kluber who's a former Cy young if he's gonna try to talk people into that he's healthy now and he's back into form he's probably looking at somewhere around there eight million maybe nine a guy like odorizzi probably two to three years at 11 to 12 per because if Robbie Ray's getting eight, those guys should be getting more. And Oda Rizzi could be in the 15 to 18, you know, once you start, like you said, adding the, the Robbie Ray context. So, but here's the other thing too. Erod's coming up on free agency. So, you know, maybe Oda Rizzi on his second and third year is, is better than Erod, you know, so that's uh, almost a potential replacement there. And, and you have, you'll have sale back with a healthy elbow for the next, you know, few years at least. And you're hopefully going to have Hauk up in the rotation. Um, I know Andrew thinks Mata plays more to the bullpen, but, um, Pavetta's under control for a while. You're probably going to sign a free agent anyway within the next couple of years. So I, I think a two to three year deal for Oda Rizzi is a fit, you know, for the Red Sox. I could see it. I'd be, I'd be down for that. I like Oda Rizzi. I've liked Oda Rizzi since he was in Tampa. So if they gave him two to three years around that clip, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, and the one thing that I do find a, a little bit of comfort in is that the Red Sox were competitive with the Braves in the Charlie Morton pursuit. Apparently, Bloom wanted him and and made a hell of a run at him. And you know, the Red Sox front office—it's a lot more closed up than it's ever been. There's not a lot of transparency, so we weren't aware of this. You know, the beat writers don't seem to, you know, get tipped as to 
you know, what Heimblum is thinking. But, you know, at least they went after someone that would have been good. And as much as I hate to say it, I, I do kind of look at Morton as a, as a five-inning guy at this point in his career, and I, I'd kind of like to see a six- or seven-inning guy. So even he wouldn't be a perfect fit in my eyes, but certainly, you know, far less risky than a Kluber and, and certainly an upgrade over, you know, Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker and and whatnot. But, but. We're a little we're a little far apart, I think, with Charlie, but you know, that's what this show's mm-hmm. all about. <laughs> hey, it's all good. I mean, I don't expect to agree with everybody. I mean, I, I, I always agree with Andrew. He, he knows this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Always. So other news, uh, and again, you know, we did kind of cover this on the YouTube edition, but um, when you guys got out of bed last Thursday, I'm sure nobody remembers much about Thursday, but, but did you ever imagine Dave Dombrowski was going to have a job as basically the GM of, of a big market baseball team? Which movie was it with Adam Sandler where he's talking? I think it's Mr. Deeds. Or Dirty Deeds. Was it called Dirty Deeds? I think it was Dirty Deeds. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Deeds. He go, he's talking to like the football player on the team, and he goes, oh, you wouldn't want us to pay you less if you had a bad year, would you? And he goes, shit, no. I mean, no. It was kind of <laughs> like that moment when I sat there like, oh, my God, rest in peace, all Phillies fans, because now your team is forever doomed. Ah, never in a million years did, did I – oh, you know what? Never say never, right? Uh, I thought it was going to be a long time before anyone thought it would be a wise decision to give that man an opportunity to run another ball club. Well, and I I certainly didn't expect it for a team that supposedly is broke. Like, aren't they crime poor right now? And you're going to bring in a guy who loves to spend money and doesn't want to keep prospects? How's that going to work? That seems like a <laughs> recipe for disaster. You you hired Dave Dombrowski, and then you can tell him, oh, by the way, Dave, we have no money. But, you know, good luck. How's that going to work? Yeah, you you hired a demolition crew to, to build you a skyscraper, basically. <laughs> and uh, I just don't get it i mean on paper yeah he's basically a hall of fame executive but he got away with winning in 2018 because he came to a team that had a top two or three farm system and traded away some guys and it's not even the trades that did him in it was the bad signings it was it was not being smart enough to to stay away from Chris Sale or or make him at least pitch out his option. It, it was about not being smart enough to stay off of Evaldi. And he never had a great bullpen while he was with Boston. You know, Alex Cora engineered a brilliant bullpen strategy for the postseason. And, you know, it was... It was kind of a flawed team, and you know it's too bad he didn't have the instincts to know that Boston is a terrible market for a guy like David Price. <laughs> so, 
there there was a lot of bad free agent signings that went down while he was here and you know he had John Farrell for a few of those years and you know it's always been my opinion that Farrell was kind of forced on him uh, anyway but um but he is just not you know a a present day baseball executive like he doesn't think like a present day executive and you know he's got a 1990s early 2000s mindset and it just makes no sense whatsoever <laughs> to to bring him in to an organization that you know needs to be refined i don't know if a rebuild is is what's necessary but there needs to be some sort of a transition um you know or, or maybe a quick retool and i just I don't think Dombrowski's the guy. And I asked on Twitter that day that he got hired, I said, what was the worst move? Phillies hiring Dombrowski or the White Sox hiring Larusa? And most people said the White Sox hiring Larusa, but I disagree because they can fire him in April or May if they want Larusa. You know, a, a guy like Dombrowski can do a lot of damage to an organization in just one year to the point where it could take them years to recover from that one bad year. I mean, we're recovering from that one bad offseason coming into 2019 where he just, you know, splurged all that money. And so I, I think it was a terrible move. And, you know... It's a case of an owner, John Middleton, probably should have left it to his front office executives to kind of lead the search and, and you know, pinpoint a few candidates to to bring in, you know, from, from top organizations that, that have a good track record of roster building and... and you know, it's, it's going to be a painful decade for Phillies fans. I hope that uh, Phillies fans enjoyed watching whatever young talent they had, <laughs> like the Alec Bombs of the world, come come through that organization because uh, you can kiss them good, goodbye pretty soon. And I'm also curious to see how he gets along with G- Girardi because somehow I don't think that's going to work. You don't think so? No, because I, I feel like Girardi actually likes – young guys especially if you know if they are talented enough to play them at the major league level and i don't feel like he's going to enjoy dombrowski just making moves left and right and bringing in all these new guys who may not necessarily be a fit and just sort of shoving them in front of girardi and saying make it work and you know get us 100 wins get us into the playoffs i, I feel like girardi likes to have a system that you know builds up talent and then you know kind of works his way from there um, like, I feel like when Girardi took the job, he took it because he went, okay, you know, there's players in their minor league system that in a couple of years will be ready. So we'll, we'll start developing, we'll, we'll work the system. And in a couple of years with, you know, with Bryce and everyone else here, we'll be ready to compete. And now all of a sudden they bring in Dabrowski and Dabrowski's probably already eyeing those prospects. Like, you know, like the dessert table going, Oh boy, oh, I can get some, I can get some sweet 33 year old broken down bullpen pitchers for these guys. 
So I just don't feel like that's that relationship's going to go very well. You could be right. You could be right. I don't know how I... I, I don't know. I, I honestly think that the LaRusa one was worse just because of how it was handled. We already knew that this is going to per- perhaps blow up in his face. Like, when you get hired as a general manager, it's the same as when you get hired as a manager, unless your name is Brian Cashman, who seems to not be able to do any wrong in his current role. You know that when you get hired, there will be a day that you get fired. We didn't necessarily think it was going to come like a day later. They make the announcement of Tony La Russa getting hired, and then less than 48 hours later, you're dealing with a guy who just got in trouble for getting a DUI and then dropping the do you know who I am line. I think the La Russa one was much worse as far as sports and society goes because the the Phillies are going to be, you know, they kind of doom their, themselves with some of the contracts they, they've divvied out in, in the past. I, I mean, you're, you're ranked as one of the worst farm systems now He's going to have to retool. There's not going to be as much of an opportunity to get rid of um, certain things beforehand. It's it's going to be a retooling as opposed to shipping everyone away to get prospect or get players. He's going to have to do most of his trading, you know, with his major league roster. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, they have the 23rd ranked farm system. And yeah. I mean, if you trade your top two prospects out of that, you're probably the 29th ranked farm system at that point. So, right. Uh, so I just, it's interesting. I, I don't wish failure on Dombrowski. I really don't. Um, I, I hate the situation that he left us in, um, you know, but the, the one thing I always appreciated from him was, he was about as transparent as you could be, you know, especially in a market like Boston. And when he said that he was going to address an area of the team, he did. You know, whether it worked out or not, you know, was another story. But, um, but you know, he always did what he said he was going to do. So that's probably one of the reasons he, he got that job because he probably is very respected amongst other executives across the league. And, um, but I just don't see him as the guy that's gonna make these crafty moves, you know, which is going to require some, you know, advanced analytics and, and saber metrics to, to build that roster you know, with not a lot of funds because they they do have the Harper deal and um, a couple other, you know, big contracts on the books. And uh, I know NOLA isn't making a ton of money, but it's not, you know, it's not like arbitration too money, you know. So, um, so we'll see. But I just – Philly's been a dumpster fire. You know, since the start of the Clintac Gabe Kapler era, and um, I, I don't see it changing. And and if it doesn't go well, like like Jason believes, I kind of feel bad for Joe Girardi. <laughs> Dude gets railroaded <laughs> out of New York and and ends up in Philly. You know, which looked like a good job at the time, and it's not looking good now. And you know, 
it's too bad Girardi couldn't uh, couldn't have been the one to get the Padres job because that would have been fun, and and he would have uh, you know he would have made a huge impact on that team. Yeah, if only he could have waited just another year or two, then yeah, that would have been a great landing spot for him. Right. Yeah. Another interesting thing too is. If you go back to 2017, the Yankees fired Girardi the day after the Red Sox announced Cora. <laughs> so they made damn sure he wasn't coming to Boston. And I would have loved it. And I would have loved it, you know, last winter had it happened. You know, Cora got fired really late. But, um, but it you know, it would have been cool, you know, to see him. I, I, I love a guy like Girardi. But uh, any uh any final thoughts, I guess? What do you think what what do we think the Indians are gonna change their name to? That's a Someone great question. That's pretty badass, you know, the Cleveland Spiders, that'd be kinda sick. Huh. I you know, think... like I've or go ahead. Try. What's Cleveland known for? I mean, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's about it. So then, the Cleveland Rockers. Yeah, that's. I, I think it's going to be the Rockers or something like that. Or is that too close to John Rocker and people are kind of? Nah. How about the Rollers? The Rollers. That might be... Yeah. The... Oh, I don't know. That 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 sounds kind of dumb. Rocker sounds so much better. I think it's going to be the Spiders, to be honest with you. I mean, that seemed to be leading all the polls. It's a historical name. I guess that's one of the – that might have been their original name. And um, But I agree it should it should be the Rockers. I mean, just think of, think of the marketing, you know, that you could have on a weekly basis. I mean, you could have like 90s punk rock night. You could have – Brett Michaels night and give out blonde wigs to everyone in the audience. I mean, it's endless. You could, you could go a million different ways with it. It's the most marketable name. And, and Cleveland's had a hard time as good as they've been. And as competitive as they've been for the past five, six years, they don't sell tickets very well during the season. So, you know, a name like the rockers, I, I think would be good, but Based on what I saw, though, gun to my head, I think they're going to choose the Spiders. That's not too bad. I'm okay with that. I can go to bed with that one. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, it'll be interesting. I think we're going to find out tomorrow or the next day uh, what it is, but Tuesday or Wednesday, I should say. But all right. Do you, think be, uh, do you guys think that they should be known as the Cleveland baseball team for a season? <laughs> oh, <God>. No, <laughs> yeah, I whatever. I the 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 Braves aren't changing their name, so uh, Atlanta. What's Atlanta going to be? The Atlanta Peaches? Like, what are you going to call them? <laughs> the Atlanta. Nobody watches baseball down here. <laughs> I do it too. I hate I hate to bag on the Braves though. I like I like their team. So I, I I hope whatever they decide it's it's the best thing for them, you know? I, I hope for the Braves it's uh it's the Atlanta bye bye Ozuna went to Boston <laughs> team. <laughs> that would be my favorite. 
<laughs> yeah, so before we do go, the winter meetings were last week or is that this week? I'm so confused. Ooh, let me check. I thought it was last week, but then I'm seeing stuff this week. Uh, yeah, actually, I actually have no idea. December 6th through the 10th. All just, right. Uh, yeah, so that was last yeah. week. Okay. It usually is the, the second uh, – it starts the second Tuesday, I think. They start getting in there on Monday and then second Tuesday. So that makes sense. And nothing dramatic happened. Uh, you know, I think McCann went to the Mets. Um I know there was at least one or two other moves. Do you guys think that do you guys think that Bauer will end up going to New York? I think he's going to go to the Mets. You know, I think the Angels make more and more sense. I mean, they're desperate. The Angels. What? Uh, yeah. They don't need pitching. They need hitting. What are you talking about? They there? need everything. They need a smart <laughs> owner. <laughs> they need a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I think they're starting to feel the pressure more than ever from their fan base. I think they're starting to get pressure from Mike Trout, who is kind of suffering, maybe to a lesser degree of Nolan Arenado syndrome. You know, where he just wants to win for once in his career. Um, so it's it's a name that pops up, but you know the Mets. Kind of need pitching. I mean, I don't think Syndergaard's going to be back until the summer. He's on a similar schedule as Chris Sale. Um, You know, and they got the Steve Matz of the world on their team. They must have at least one other decent starter. Um, But, you know, it could still end up being Bauer. We'll see. I'm I'm curious to see what ends up happening. It's, It's going to be a fun one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, once uh, once things finally do get rolling. So, all right, guys, yep. good show. We'll be back. It'll be the next rotation. So I'll see you guys in in two shows, uh, unless someone can't uh, do the next one. But uh, but like I said, good show. Hopefully, we'll get some momentum here and rattle off a bunch of them anyway. So yeah, sounds good. Right. Sounds good. Have a good night. Catch you guys. Episode 237 in the books. Not the sexiest signings, uh, like we said, uh, you know, as we were discussing Hunter Renfro, but is what it is. He is a member of the Boston Red Sox. Probably should have got into whether or not that means Bradley definitely isn't coming back. I, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, I do know Bloom said he wouldn't rule out another outfield addition, so... Um, you know, that could mean Bradley. It might not. I, I think Bradley's gone regardless of, of, you know, what moves went down today anyway. But uh, probably should have mentioned it. Anyway, uh, thanks again for joining us. Check out the new YouTube channel. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a briefer e- episode and we usually pick a couple of topics and we rotate the hosts out. Um, our PR guy, Brad Chandler, uh, is basically the primary host of that uh, show. Um, so if you're looking for more Red Sox content, you can find it right there. Everyone have a good uh, rest of your week. It's going to be chilly here in the Northeast if you're in the Boston, New York area. 
bundle up because winter is here. So take care, everyone.